0: section four of the national geographic magazine volume nine february eighteen ninety eight this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org gardner green hubbard memorial meeting part three president a graham
1: bell read by larry wilson major john w powell read By Todd.
2: Honorable A. R. Spofford, read by Ann B. Sweet, thirteen.
3: The Honorable John W. Ross, read by Wayne Cook. General
4: A. W. Greeley, read by Kevin S.
0: Mr. Hubbard's great interest in the advancement of science in America led to the foundation of an independent scientific journal for the use of scientific men on this continent and i shall call upon major j w powell director of the bureau of american ethnology associate editor of science and ex-director of the united states geological society to speak on behalf of the
1: journal science this is an age of specialized literature the daily papers serve a daily purpose but when the day is gone the paper is gone a flame is kindled twenty four hours after the issue of the daily paper in every home in America, and the yesterday's news is the origin of this household fire. But it comes to us freighted with power with the same regularity that longitudes wheel to the matinina light. Weekly, bi weekly, monthly, and quarterly journals have a longer life. Within the last quarter of a century, the magazine has become a forum in which public men find expression for their best thoughts to a large public. Who wish to consider with care the current questions of the day, and preserve the material thus utilized for future reference. For this reason, it has come about that magazines have multiplied. All thoughtful people are now magazine readers. The daily press has become the mighty organ of current news, business life, and political affairs, while the magazine is the organ of current thought as literature and science. The daily paper, reviewing the daily affairs of life, makes comment on public men, public measures in the nation, the state, and the city. It pours out wit and humor, sometimes good, sometimes far-fetched, with a story for the idle and a syndicate letter for the inquisitive, all going to the morning crematory. Neglecting the magazine as the organ of literature, and considering it as the organ of science, by a careful review of the subject it will be seen that the correlation of scientific research and the organization of scientific opinion is now largely dependent upon magazine literature in late years this new organ for the correlation of scientific research has sprung up the heat light electricity magnetism and gravity of which the ether is the medium between celestial orb and celestial orb the orbs themselves of which the earth is a modest member stealing its way through the universe by an unseen path content with reflecting the light of others the earth itself with its moving atmosphere, hydrosphere, lithosphere, and central sphere, all cooperate with the chemical agencies that are forever reconstituting the rocks of the earth, and these, through their mantle of soil, cooperate with living vegetal forms, and these again cooperate with the hosts of animate things. This vast system of cooperation between the hierarchy of bodies which constitute our solar system, allies every man engaged in scientific research to every other man who studies the ways of nature for the solution of the problems connected with every crystal every plant and every animal cannot reach their final solution without considering the whole world of bodies one human mind cannot solve them all inductive research must consider all of the multitudes of particulars in every body and those observed by one must be added to those observed by others before the induction is complete then deduction may enter the field for the final reconstruction of the external universe in a hierarchy of valid concepts representing the hierarchy of the universe until the universe itself shall be reproduced in every human mind many men must work together to operate a railroad across the continent but when cooperating what feats of transportation they can accomplish all the men of the world could not carry the freight from san francisco to new york which can be transported by one railroad cooperation in scientific work is equally economic. The problems of the universe are to be solved, and they cannot be without the organized labor of research. To expect men to accomplish this labor without cooperation is like expecting men to gather the wheat of the prairie and carry it on their shoulders to the seaside mart. But a selected few of those laborers may easily perform the task when they are organized as railroad transporters. By what agency can the men engaged in scientific research cooperate in the solution of the problems of the universe? Scientific men will solve those problems when they cooperate, for all problems can be solved after they are stated. One man may be an agnostic, but all men are not agnostic for all time. While much of the universe is unknown, the universe is not unknowable. The universe is unknowable only to the fool who would try to carry it in a sack on his own shoulder. There is an army of men engaged in research in America, which is but an integral part of the world's scientific men. In 1883, two men, Gardner Green Hubbard and Alexander Graham Bell, sought to more thoroughly organize the American army and put it in cooperation with the world's scientific host. For this purpose, they essayed to organize a magazine or journal of science. They called to their aid President Gilman of the Johns Hopkins University professor marsh of yale college and professor scudder of harvard mr scudder was made the editor and the journal was launched on the sea of publication the journal was specialized in five departments first there was editorial comment on public affairs related to the institutions of research in america second its columns were open to the discussion of scientific subjects by the leaders of thought third it was a medium for the announcement of discoveries Fourth. It contained announcements of what men and institutions were doing in America. And fifth, it contained a summary of the scientific progress of the world. In these five departments, the two volumes of the first year contained a well-digested summary of the current scientific thought and accomplishments in America and throughout the world. This journal was called Science, and it had engaged in the labor of its preparation many men in the different departments of research employed in the preparation of materials for publication relating to all branches of work. It inaugurated the new era in America. Hitherto men had worked largely in isolation, without the sympathy and assistance of their fellow men, few of them meeting once or twice a year for conferences as the American Association for the Advancement of Science and the National Academy. But in general isolation, diversities of opinion sprang up and grew to unnecessary proportions, so that the infrequent meetings of scientific bodies were characterized by bitter discussion which often led to lifelong antagonism under the aegis of this journal there sprang into existence many more organizations and the meetings of scientific men were multiplied and the differences of scientific men were harmonized ultimate differences of opinion were modified and mollified and the whole spirit of research as exhibited on this continent was transformed jealousies and antagonisms melted in the sunlight of publication in the host of scientific workers, there has always been a few men exploiting on the verge of research whose chief delight is in controversy, and who consider that eminence can best be acquired by attacking their fellow men. This modicum of malcontents were speedily relegated to the purlieus of disputation, and the real workers who remained to cooperate, encourage, and assist. Since 1883, the journal has passed through many vicissitudes, and many experiments have been made with it in order that it might become self-supporting and many efforts have been made to secure an enlarged clientage, but the first three volumes establish the high-water mark of scientific journalism, and are ideals for all future enterprises in this field. In this manner, the founders of the journal, led by Mr. Hubbard, contributed to the organization of scientific research. In later years I had the honor to be called into their councils, and I know how earnestly they labored to make a magazine worthy of the scientific public, and wherein there was failure, and wherein there was success. Mr. Hubbard was the leading spirit in all this work, and to it he gave much time and profound thought. It was designed, not as a business enterprise, but as a contribution to science, not for the purpose of accumulating a property from which a revenue could be derived, but of establishing a means of communication for scientific men, to be presented to them as their journal. In the library on Connecticut Avenue, and under the shadow of Twin Oaks, Mr. Hubbard was wont to assemble his friends in conference on scientific subjects. Often the magazine was the theme under consideration. Other interests of science were also considered. The hours which he spent with his friends in consultation from day to day, month to month, year to year, endeared him to an ever-enlarging circle of public men, for his sympathies were wide, his plans large, and the resources of his genius great. And, though he has gone, the works of his heart and mine will remain to bless mankind. I could talk with a full heart of Mr. Hubbard as a friend. Through many years at his home in the city and at his home in the country, and in faraway lands and in long journeys across the continent, I spent many hours with him, and, while I honoured him as a public man and think what he has accomplished, these days and years have more than led me to learn to love him as a friend."
0: mr hubbard was vice-president of the columbia historical society i will call upon the hon a r spofford to say a few words on behalf of that society the
2: talents and energies of him who we commemorate tonight embraced the wide and varied field his active mind took in many subjects of inquiry and his sympathy and aid were hospitably given to so many causes and objects of public interest that it is perhaps difficult to name any of the more important in which at some time or another his name and influence were not invoked one of the more recently organized of the societies devoted to objects of research to which he belonged was the columbia historical society this association was formed march seventh eighteen ninety four at a meeting held at columbian university adding another to the historical societies, now numbering nearly 300, which have been organized with a view to preserve and perpetrate historical knowledge in the United States. To this meeting, not being able to be present on account of absence from the city, Mr. Hubbard sent a note through a friend who was a leading promoter of the movement, suggesting the possibility of some encroachment In the new society to be organized upon the spear of the memorial association of the district of columbia of which he himself was an active and earnest member but upon discussion of this suggestion by gentlemen present who were affiliated with both societies it was the concurrent judgment of the meeting that the objects proposed for the historical society were of a much more comprehensive scope embracing the wide field of investigation of the annals of washington and the district of columbia its foundation history civil literary political ecclesiastical biography statistics public works education and development generally the special aim of the memorial association on the other hand was to preserve and commemorate historic buildings marking by tablets or otherwise ancient landmarks, and endeavoring to perpetrate an interest in the past of Washington City by fitting memorials. At the meeting following the preliminary conference referred to, namely on the 12th of April, 1894, the Historical Society was fully organized. Gardiner G. Hubbard was one of the original charter members, signed the Constitution, and was elected first vice-president of the society. His great preoccupation, however, with the work of other societies, and especially that of the National Geographic Society, over which he presided with such signal ability, prevented his attendance at the monthly meetings of the Historical Society, and for this he frequently expressed his regret. On May ninth 1894, feeling his inability longer to hold himself ready to discharge the duties of vice-president, he tendered his resignation of that office in a letter, assigning as a ground for his action that he was unable to give its duties his personal attention. The resignation was accepted, and Honorable John A. Cashin was chosen vice-president in place of Mr. Hubbard, and succeeded to the presidency by election after the death of dr joseph m toner the first president of the society at a later date mr hubbard continuing his membership recommended to the society in a letter of november twenty ninth eighteen ninety five through the secretary a lecture by professor lewis on lafayette and the historians which however was not delivered regarding mr hubbard's life-long interest in historical subjects those who knew him the best can best testify an earnest student and a wide reader from early years he was also a busy and intelligent collector of books upon the history of countries he read much and was unusually well informed his many addresses and articles contributed to the geographic society Invinced the breadth of his culture and the wealth of his knowledge upon the history and resources as well as the topography of the region treated by him it is pertinent for me to mention here as an example of the thorough method of mr hubbard in treating the history of any subject the elaborate article furnished by him to the atlantic monthly for january eighteen seventy five entitled Our Post Office. This historical article contains an admirable condensation of the facts regarding the postal system of the United States and its predecessors, the colonial and British post office establishments. It draws many instructive parallels and points out the departure from the true objects of a governmental postal system, the quick and cheap diffusion of the people's correspondence and periodicals, through the carriage of mere merchandise in the mails, leading to large annual deficits. The article, although appearing in the pages of a periodical, is of great and permanent value. The same may be said of another of Mr. Hubbard's studies, upon a subject of greatest practical interest to the people, namely his article on proposed changes in the telegraphic system, published in the North American Review, for july eighteen seventy three this presents a history of the various american lines of telegraph up to its date and is a close and careful analysis of the whole system with comparative statistics of the telegraph as managed by governments in foreign countries and by corporations in the united states of mr hubbard as book collector art lover and connoisseur others will doubtless make fitting record his library was large and select, and his refined taste led him to make choice always of the best editions. Like most bibliophiles, he read many sale catalogues of books, imported literally from many of the best bookhouses in London and on the continent, and had a marked liking for fine bindings. In the graphic arts, his knowledge and tastes were of the first order, and his large collection of early and late engravings, etchings, etc., was one of the finest gathered by a private individual. These were the recreations of a busy man of affairs, and the collection, study, and illustration for the benefit of others, which he sometimes consented to offer in the form of an art lecture, were a source of constant gratification in his generous spirit
0: the hon j w ross chairman of the board of commissioners of the district of columbia will speak on behalf of the city of washington and the district of columbia
3: the honourable part has been assigned to me of speaking of the late president of our society with regard to his business activities and as a citizen of the district of columbia my last meeting with him was on an occasion when he was serving this people in a most effective manner in the month of september eighteen ninety seven a committee of the national education association came to washington to consider its availability as the city in which to hold their next annual gathering through the courtesy of the proprietor of the riggs house a banquet was given to the visiting delegates and to the local committees in order that our citizens might confer with the representatives of the national association and explain to them the exceptional advantages offered here in comparison with the other cities under consideration mr hubbard was one of washington's most influential champions at that meeting as i recall the enthusiasm and earnestness with which he portrayed the great educational features of the capital it is difficult to realize the truth that he was then about seventy-five years of age to him and to the other resourceful promoters of our cause is due the gratifying result that washington will in july next welcome the largest convention of educators ever assembled in the united states amid all the cares and responsibilities which attended his useful life mr hubbard never evaded any municipal duty while he never sought preferment by the appointment of the executive officers of the district Yet his practical ability and his zeal were so generally recognized that successive boards of district commissioners appreciated the fact that they served and promoted district interests by pointing him to positions of trust and responsibility. In May 1896, he was selected as a member of the Tennessee Centennial Exposition Commission. In June 1896, he was chosen a member of the Board of Trustees for the Free Public Library in march eighteen ninety seven he was appointed one of the commission for the omaha exposition of eighteen ninety eight he was also an active member of the board of directors of the central dispensary and emergency hospital the duties pertaining to these positions were willingly assumed by him notwithstanding his exacting engagements to the scientific societies of the district and in so far as any work could be done it was performed by him with fidelity and ability next to the great cause of scientific research he loved his adopted home there was not a movement made having for its end the prestige the adornment or the development of the national capital which did not have his strong and sturdy support from his beautiful home on the heights beyond rock creek he had within his view that ideal site bounded by the potomac the anacostia and the commanding hills which bordered those streams whereon the wise foresight of washington founded the chief capital city of the new world every surrounding appealed to his keen sense of the beautiful and strengthened his conviction that washington was destined to be the most superb of the world's capitals he believed that as the one and only city belonging to all the people of the united states as the official home of the president of congress and of the fifteen thousand government employees from the states of the union it of right should as to its facilities for the education of its youth as to its healthful conditions and surroundings as to its means of protection of life and property and as to its promotion of the comfort and well-being of the public servants residing here be the first and foremost of american cities and that the members of the enlightened congress of the united states as its immediate custodians should regard any impairment and lowering of that standard as slight and an insult to their own constituents his high character and strong personality helped to impress these his views upon the national representatives with whom he was associated in the decease of Gardiner green hubbard therefore the people of this municipality have suffered a grievous loss and bereavement It may not be unfair to the living to state that there is no one quite so well fitted by temperament, by training, and by practical tact and ability to perform all the several roles on the stage of human activity which he enacted so well. His tall and commanding form and the kindly tones of his voice will be missed wherever Washingtonians may assemble to foster and protect the best interests of the District of Columbia his name should and doubtless will in time be borne by some appropriate municipal building we cannot hope even by all these tokens of respect and affection to give adequate expression to our sorrow or our appreciation of his public service the most eloquent tribute to his memory on the part of his surviving associates would be an emulation of his civic virtues and an effort to be as zealous as sincere and as patriotic as he was in the performance of every public duty
0: the last address of the evening will be made by general a w greeley chief signal officer of the united states army and senior vice president of the national geographic society on behalf of that society
4: when i first came to know mr hubbard his years were such as had well won a right to rest but with noble discontent he held the creed old age hath yet his honor and his toil how great that toil it has been for few to know how great that honor in some way we felt before death touched him but its full extent has only been revealed by this notable memorial meeting in the capital city of the nation of which he was so proud the school the library the university the smithsonian institution the church in short all the varied elements of a christian civilization in which he was not only an actor but an inspirer are distinct losers by his death it is however the national geographic society that has a right to feel itself especially bereft for this society was the child of his old age which had won his heart for which he toiled at all seasons and toward which last of all turned his thought and affection his last months were filled with plans for the fit celebration of our tenth anniversary which now lacks so much by his absence but which also seeks inspiration for the future by a brief review of the past mr hubbard was not only our president for these ten years but he was also an initiator and an incorporator of the society at the original meeting on january thirteenth eighteen eighty eight there were present thirty-three individuals who have increased to an aggregate membership of two thousand four hundred and twenty-one of whom remain with us one thousand five hundred and seventy-two though lost by death and resignation being eight hundred and forty-nine in his introductory address of february seventeenth eighteen eighty eight mr hubbard set forth the aims and objects of the society on broad and generous lines thus ensuring growth and success he said I am one of those who desire to further the prosecution of geographical research we hope to bring together first the scattered workers of our country second the persons who desire to promote their researches the work was to be patriotic educational and scientific how far it succeeded is rather a record of facts than an expression of opinion it appealed to the spirit of patriotism by the establishment of two departments the geography of the air and the geography of the sea representing the two allied branches of meteorology and oceanography that owe their initial formation to the genius and activity of americans to this society is due the credit that america was fittingly associated through the means of a geographical conference at the columbian exhibition at chicago an exhibition that celebrated contemporaneously the discovery of america and the birth of modern geography again at the meeting of the british association for the advancement of science at toronto this society upheld the dignity of our country by a series of geographic papers that won the generous praise of european scientists conjointly with other american societies it played a conspicuous part in the proceedings of the international geographic congress in london in eighteen ninety five on this last occasion it may be added it excited attention by the presence of women as delegates thus emphasizing our broad spirit of indiscrimination in advancing science by the cooperation of all willing workers and promoters the lenten lectures of eighteen ninety eight mr hubbard's last plan of work will do patriotic service by bringing to our members an appreciation of the advantages and a pride in the evolution of the great and varied sections that constitute the American Union. On educational lines, the society has striven, not with the greatest success, it must be said, to stimulate proper geographic instruction in schools and universities. It has also added to geographic literature a series of monographs written by eminent specialists, which have elicited praise from foreign scientists that must bear good fruit in their use by american teachers our regular winter course of lectures by eminent specialists and on timely topics exceed in number variety and utility those furnished by any other geographic society in the world in science this society has done important work if only in forming under governmental auspices a board on geographic names In our technical meetings have been presented and discussed papers of great value, and the influence of many of these papers has been extended by their publication in the National Geographic magazine. Among other important works should be noted the encouragement of exploration in Alaska, the establishment of the National Geographic magazine, now in its ninth year, and the instituting of geographic field days. Finally, we have a right to ask, Could any organization in the first ten years of its existence more fully carry out its initial plan than has this society? In deserving and winning the success, no other member did so much as did Mr. Hubbard. Dealing with a board of managers composed of able but positive men, it was Mr. Hubbard's strength that he was receptive, conciliatory, and practical. Many a seemingly hopeless idea he changed into practical form and often from conflicting opinions he evolved an acceptable plan. It would be placing Mr. Hubbard's labors on a low plane to say that this society throve only by them. He had the higher aim to interweave his labors with others, and so to plan and build that he might exert an enduring influence. This higher work he accomplished. We feel that the future of this society is not doubtful, that it will continue to maintain its high ideals of public usefulness by fostering patriotism by stimulating education and by advancing science thus it will best show its active appreciation of the labors of gardner green hubbard and in thus doing justify the poet's words so when a great man dies for years beyond our ken the light he leaves behind him lies upon the paths of men
0: The meeting is now adjourned. End of section 4.